What is good to see all of you this morning. It is awesome to be together as God's family. And I know we, we say this a lot, but I truly believe this. This isn't just one more Sunday. It's not just one more week. Sometimes we underestimate what God can do, but never, never underestimate it just being one more Sunday. The spirit of the living God is in this place today. And I think he's got some very important words to say to us. If you're just getting caught up or if you need a little reminder today, we're in week two of about a six-week message series entitled, A New Look at Some Old Stories. A New Look at Some Old Stories. And because of that, we are taking a look at some stories in the Old Testament that some of you, some, they may be familiar to you and some of them may be a little unfamiliar. And such is with our story today. I have a feeling that when you heard that story today, you were like, what? That's in the Bible? I've never heard that one before. It's kind of this obscure story that we just kind of skip over. A couple chapters later is the Ten Commandments. We've all heard about that. But I have this feeling that when you were growing up in Sunday school, or if you have kids uh, today, when they're asked, or when you were asked, who's, who's your favorite Bible hero, right? Who's your favorite Bible? Bible action hero. If you had to make like a G.I. Joe toy of a, of, a, of a Bible character, right? Who would that be, right? Probably the first things that the kids would yell out would be like, Abraham, right? Um, um, David and Goliath, right? Those are the fun ones. Daniel and the lion's den, right? I doubt that any of you yelled out, Aaron. How about her, right? Some of you are really confused right now. Her, right? Aaron and her, we encounter these characters in our story. It's kind of like a who's on first, what's on second sort of thing. This guy had a bad life, right? What were his parents thinking, right? Who's that guy over there? Her. No, him. No, her. Yeah, what's his name? Her? No, him. No, her. Okay, you get the idea. Rough life for him. Anyway, but I'm guessing that those weren't the most familiar characters in your favorite Bible stories. But as it turns out, these these lesser-known characters, particularly in our reading from Exodus 17 today, uh, are, are, are not the heroes of this story because they did anything fancy, but through the power of relationships. And that's what I want to talk about today, through the power of relationships. Now, first, a little bit of context to help us understand this story. So if you want to open your Bibles to Exodus 17, I believe there's three important things that you need to know about the story today. First of all, that it involves a long journey. Second of all, that it involves uh, a battle, uh, lots of battles. And uh, lastly, that it involves having the right company. So there's a journey, a battle, and the right company around you. So uh, Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. If you're there, we read this. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded, and they camped at Rephidim. Now, let's stop there for a second. It's important for us to know that before we kind of get into our story today, what the Israelites have been up to. You remember the story, the familiar story of them leaving the land of Egypt where they were in slavery, right? Pharaoh had them in slavery, and Moses comes and leads them out. He raises a staff in his arms, and he parts the Red Sea, and they, they walk through it, right? And so they're leaving Egypt, and they have this long, long journey through the desert that looks something like that, all the way to the land that God promised them long ago, the promised land in Jerusalem. And so they have a long way to go, and on their way, they encounter some hostile people along the way. And that's the second aspect of the story, is that this journey from Egypt to the promised land is not safe. And we see this in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. This was no ordinary enemy. The Amalekites were known uh, far and wide. Nobody ever beat the Amalekites. 
They were the, most, the, the fiercest warriors around, and they were known for attacking groups that were traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land and attacking them and their caravans. And the, the, the amazing thing about this story is that later on, when the Israelites actually win this battle, it says that nobody ever defeated the Amalekites unless, let's say, there was divine intervention. Unless God was on your side. So they're on a journey, they're facing battle, but the third aspect of this story today, of, of Moses' story that would be, well, easy to overlook, is that Moses was able to lead people on this journey and to endure these difficult battles and to keep the faith because he did not travel alone. Moses did not travel alone. And so in our story, we encounter characters like Joshua and Aaron and Hur and later even Jethro who play vital roles in Moses' life. And how important is it for us as well to have the right people around us at the right time? I found this to be very true uh, during a few years back when I went on a dangerous journey of my own, not from Egypt to the Promised Land, uh, but uh, in the mountains. And so a couple years ago, I, I found myself uh, doing what a lot of young single men from Iowa do after they graduate with graduate from college, and they have no clear direction for their lives. They move to Colorado, <laughs> and they grow big, bushy beards. Um, so I spent about a year living in Golden, Colorado, just this nice little town in the foothills, just a few minutes from Denver. Uh, nice town known for kind of its old western-style downtown. It's also known for its awesome rivers and creeks. And uh, actually, it's known for creeks that are great for uh, kayaking. And so I wasn't much of a kayaker. I had no experience in that. But there's one thing that I did well that I, I thought I could do better than anyone else, and that is build forts. Does anybody like to build forts? Just admit it, right? We're all family here. All right. Three of you. Good. We can go build a fort after worship. Four, excuse me. Um, it, it's awesome, and I, and I love doing that. Not just when I was a kid, but now that I'm older as well, it's, it's not just for kids. And so this is what I love to do. I love to build forts in the woods. And so one afternoon, I, I set off down the trail by this river, this, this creek called Clear Creek that's known for being, you can see right to the bottom. It's beautiful. Uh, and there's a lot of rapids in it that are good for kayaking. So, you know, it's in the low 70s, uh, a, a beautiful day. I think it was around March or April time. And I, uh, and I head out, and I've got on tennis shoes and jeans and T-shirt and my baseball cap because that's what you wear when it's 70 degrees, right? You wouldn't think that the temperature might change, maybe. And so I head out, and I'm like, oh, I'll be gone for about an hour or so. Or so I thought. Well, it just so happened that the further I went, the more there was to explore. And I didn't realize how far I went. And then I spotted the ultimate place for a fort. It was like this cliff that overhung, and it was more than a 90-degree angle. It was like hanging over like this, and it was like a cave, and it was awesome. Like, I got to build a fort here. The problem was, is on the other side of the river. And so being kind of the adventurous, crazy guy that I was, I'm like, okay, there's only a couple ways to cross the river. One, you build a raft. Two, you build a bridge, which neither of those I have time to do. Or three, you just walk across it. So that's what I did. And uh, I started creaking, is what I called it. And uh, I just walked across the creek. And it was about up to my waist, and it was fine. I'm like, it's sunny out. It'll dry. Or so I thought. So an hour passes, and two hours passes. Then I have no idea what time it is. I totally lose track of time. About three hours into it, I'm like, man, it's really starting to get dark around here. It's not light. I can't see what I used to see, that is Clear Creek right there. 
that picture. That's exactly what it looks like. It's getting dark. I don't know where I am. I might even be in Utah for all I know. I've hiked for so long. I, I, I've totally lost track of time, and I realize I've got to get back. And so I start to pack up my things, and it's getting darker and darker, and, and I'm making my way back, and I realize I'm on the wrong side of the creek. And there's going to be no way that I can get back to my car, or get back to the parking lot, and it's pitch dark. I have no idea where to cross the river. Before I could see, oh, it's three feet there, oh, it's ten feet there. I had no idea. And I could hear the rapids rushing as the water was coming down from the foothills. And so I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. This is really how it's going to end. Me out here building a fort. At least it was a good one. So I, 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 I kind of take a step of faith, and I, and I climb down the bank, and I get in the water. I'm kind of testing it with my feet. I'm like, you know, that whole walking on water, Jesus, that would come in really handy right now. And so I'm kind of putting my foot in, and, and it gets deeper and deeper. And as I cross the river, it gets higher and higher, almost up to my neck. It's getting really, really scary. I can't see anything. It's not fun to be in water up to your neck when it's dark. It's just a really scary thing. So eventually I make it, and make it out, and I am just drenched and freezing because the temperatures dropped into the upper 40s now. And so that happens in Colorado, just drops. And so there I am, and eventually I make my way back. I can see the light of the park ranger station, and I'm climbing up the bank. It's this really steep bank, and I'm all alone. I'm all alone, and kind of out of nowhere, this hand reaches down and says, here, let me lift you up. And so I grab it, and it pulls me up, and it's the park ranger. I'm like, so embarrassed. I'm like, I am so glad it's dark because my jeans are soaking wet, and it looks like... I didn't have a bathroom for a while. So uh, I was really embarrassed, and he looks at me, and the first words out of his mouth that I remember distinctly are, you traveling alone today, son? I'm traveling alone today, son? And kind of get this sheepish grin on my face, and I'm like, yeah, I am. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed and, and that whole thing. And so we get to talking a little bit. And, and, uh, but I remember those words, and I'm like, wow, he was just doing his job. But what a great question, not just for a park ranger to a lost boy in the woods. What a great question for our lives. Are you traveling alone today? Do you have any companions that travel with you on your journey? How about you? Moses was on a journey faced with many trials from the, the journey from uh, Egypt to the promised land. And as we dig deeper today, we find Moses did not travel alone. But what about you? What about you today? Are you traveling alone? Of course, none of us are, are physically alone, right? You're like, duh, John, I'm surrounded by all these people today. I have family and friends and coworkers and roommates and, and spouses. And after all, I have 936 friends on Facebook. Of course, I'm not traveling alone, right? Those are my real friends, right? Because they know everything about you. Or do they? Or better yet, who knows you? Who really knows you? Who's on the journey of life with you. So when I was praying and thinking about this topic today, knowing that it was Life Group Sunday today, the park ranger's question to me that day came ringing back as, as if it was just yesterday. Are you traveling alone? Every ounce of me wanted to prove myself and say, yes, I've got all these people around. No, I am alone. Because it's easy to put up the facade that, oh yeah, we got all sorts of people in our lives. The truth is we can be surrounded by tens, dozens, hundreds of people and still feel utterly alone, can't we? And that's the truth for all of us. So what I would like to propose to you today 
is that regardless of where you're at on your spiritual journey, within Moses' story, we discover three kinds of relationships that God has created for us that are absolutely crucial in our lives. Every single one of us needs a Joshua, an Aaron, and a Jethro. And we're going to take apart those three relationships and look at those a little bit deeper. So you ready to dig in? Are you ready to dig in? If you're ready, say, let's go. All right, here we go. Uh, Verse 9. Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. Three relationships. We all need a Joshua, an Aaron, and a Jethro. And the first one we come to is our friend Joshua. The first relationship. Verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will, not, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So believe it or not, this is one of the first times we actually encounter Joshua in the Bible. This is the same Joshua that fought the battle of Jericho. He takes over from Moses when Moses dies. And the reason that he can do that is because when we first meet him here, Joshua is just a young general in the army and he's taking his lead from Moses. He's watching Moses's every move. By this time, Moses is, is getting older and Moses is realizing, you know what? I'm not going to be around forever. I need to start delegating. I need to start equipping. I need to start raising up the next generation. So throughout Exodus, we see Joshua living, acting like a shadow to Moses, watching his every move, listening to his every word. For Moses, you might say that Joshua was his mentee, right? If we have mentors, then we have mentees. And this is our first key relationship today. Joshua was Moses's protege. And Moses is one of the, the first glimpses of a biblical mentor that we get. But this is all throughout our culture. It's, it's all throughout the movies. I mean, think about these kind of relationships. Like Yoda had Luke Skywalker, right? In Lord of the Rings, Gandalf has Frodo and many others. He's that sage, that, 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 that wise sage. And finally, the most important one, Mr. Miyagi had Danielson, right? So you think about these really important mentor-mentee relationships. But of the many reasons that we see Moses as, and we lift him up as this great biblical hero, here's one that we often overlook. Faithful believers are always called to give it away. Whether you see yourself today as a leader or not, faithful believers are always called to give it away. Give what away, you might ask? Everything. Your lives, your your time, your, your energy, your gifts to the next generation. You can just imagine Moses and Joshua spending all this time together on the long journey from Egypt to the promised land, those long days in the desert, talking in the, in the tent in the camp at night, talking battle tactics, talking about leadership, you know, the really important things about what to do with the ladies, and most importantly, how to keep the faith. How to keep the faith. When, in our story, when Moses sends Joshua out to battle, This is not just some blind command like, you, go do this. It's not the kind of leader Moses was. This command was built on years of trust and time spent together. Joshua knew how to lead because he's watched Moses do it, not just listen to him talk about it. Who's your Joshua these days? Who's your Joshua these days? Who are you mentoring? Who is the younger generation that God has surrounded you with in your life to model love and faithfulness and how to serve people. Now, you might hear that word mentor. Oh, okay, I've heard this one before, you know, I'm called to be a mentor, but that not in the church. I mean, isn't that, if I was going to be a mentor to people in the faith, that would mean I would have to figure it all out. And I don't have it all figured out. 
you might be saying. That's, that's for those super spiritual leaders, you know, those life group coaches that are up here in the front. They've got it all figured out. They're perfect. They've got all their ducks in a row spiritually. And you're sitting there going, you know what? That is not me because I, I just found Exodus right now, you might be saying. You know what? And that's okay. You're saying, I could never be a mentor. But here's the thing. As we look throughout Scripture, there is no qualifier. There is no prerequisite to be a guide or a teacher or a coach that says you have to be perfect, to have all your ducks in a row spiritually. When you say to someone, I'm going to mentor you, I want you to follow my lead, which is a biblical command that Jesus gives us, you're not saying, watch me because I'm flawless. And this would even go as far as parenting, (laughs) right? You're not saying to your kids, watch me because I'm perfect. Watch me because I'm flawless. You're saying, just like Moses did to Joshua, watch me because I'm pursuing God with my whole heart, flaws and all, and I'm not pointing you to me, I'm pointing you to him. We know that you don't have to be perfect because just a few verses before, in chapter 17, Moses directly obeys a command from God. Great biblical hero, Moses, who we lift up on a pedestal, screws up royally. You ever screwed up royally? You think, ah, I'm disqualified. I could never do that. I don't have anything to give. Moses was not perfect and neither are we. But you see, you and I, we make all sorts of excuses. I could never nurture somebody in the faith. I could never invest in, in, in one of the kids in our, in our mentoring program here at Hubble. For men, you say, I, I, I could never, I never have anything to offer to a young man who wants to learn more about marriage for women, you say, I, you know, I, I could never share my experiences with motherhood with younger women. I just don't have what it takes. But when you stop and think about the importance of passing it on, of what Moses did with Joshua, those excuses, some of them just become pretty silly. I want you to take a look at a quick video about some excuses and tell me what's wrong with this scene. Can you help me, please? I'm stuck. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I have zero experience in lumberjacking. Thank God you're here. Can you make some food? I've been stuck here for six days, and all I've had to eat are two pine cones. Well, I'm not a nutritionist, so I wouldn't know what someone in your condition would... Do something! I, do what? I'm, I'm not a zoologist. There's a gun in the tent. Get the gun. I don't have a license. I've never operated... uh, uh, Look, just throw a rock or something. I'm not a geologist. I don't know which one would be most effective. Oh, I I don't want to die. I don't even know if I'll get to heaven. Do you at least know how to get to heaven? Well, actually, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a theologian, so I wouldn't really know what to say to you. But, you know, if you ever get out of here, you really should look into it. Wow. I have no formal training in long-distance running, right? Excuses, excuses, one right after another. We've all got them, don't we? We've all make excuses, especially when it comes to believing that we have something to give 
to others. I don't know about you, but watching that video just makes me want to look at that guy, grab him by the shoulders, and say, just do something, right? There's this girl, and she's crying out. And I wonder if that's exactly how God sees it, too. There are people that are crying out to be mentored, to be taught, to be invested in. People may be sitting around you today, people in this church, and they're crying out, maybe not with their voices, but they're crying out with lives that are in need of direction and purpose and hope. And you don't have to be perfect to offer that to them. Who's your Joshua today? No matter what age you are, who's your Joshua? But we know that the story doesn't end there. You remember our friends Aaron and her? Not him, her. Remember those guys? I said, these are the real heroes of the story, and now we find out why. Verse 10, chapter 17, or yeah, chapter 17, verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and her went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up, one one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. Talk about pressure, right? Dude, if you lower your hands, there's going to be thousands of people that lose your lives, so no pressure, just keep them up, right? Put up your hands for a second, just try this with me, okay? Here's, Here's Moses, he's up there, okay? Kind of just put them like this. Not all the way up, because that's too easy. Put them like right here, okay? Get a little weight on your triceps there. Okay, now you're going to hold them there to the end of the sermon. Okay, <laughs> I'm just joking. You can put them down. I just wanted you to get a feel for that. We're talking hours and hours and hours. This sounds like some like survivor game show sort of thing, right? It's who can hold their arms up, right? One of the challenges. But I, I imagine for a while, Moses is like, oh, I'm doing great, right? He looks at her and, and uh, Aaron and says, oh, guys, I got this. This is great. I got it. And then it hits him, (laughs) and he needs help, and he can't do it alone. And then it hits all of us sometimes, doesn't it? When the battles of life come your way, who lifts you up? Who do you have around you to lift you up? Are you traveling alone today? Thankfully, Moses had next to him the second key relationship in life that we all need, and that's companions. That's companions, allies, those who stand by us no matter what. We learn from this story that Aaron and her are, are Moses' right-hand guys. They're his aides, they're, they're his friends, that they've shared deep struggles and, and, and pain together. They lead together. Who lifts you up? Who are those true companions in your life? And for us as a church community, the ideal setting for that is life groups, right? It's those people that you get together with on a regular basis outside of this hour on Sunday morning. There's only so much we can do here as a large group. And there's a reason that we call them life groups, because we actually believe that you could, are called to do life together. Again and again, we see that the healthiest life groups that we have, those who experience the most joy, those who care for each other the most, those who grow the most, get this, they're the groups that actually enjoy being together. They actually like each other, right? Gone are the days where you say, oh, this is my church group, and that's kind of who I am when I'm with them, and then here's this other group of people that I go out with on Friday night, right? And that's okay, but why do they have to be separate? Why does it have to be a separate you? 
Why could not the people that you are family with, the church with, be the most joyful, spirit-filled, exciting people that you could ever hang out with? Why is that the case? Why are Christians boring? There's a good challenge this week. Don't be boring. Don't bore people. I have no idea where that came from. Um, Try not to be boring. So uh, those are the life groups that are the healthiest. Those are the ones that are growing, who get in each other's lives. Do you know what's going on in each other's lives? Some of you say, oh, I got my buddies. No, John, you don't understand. I got the dudes, right? These are the guys we go golfing with. These are the guys that I go out to the bars with, and that's awesome, and I'm not condemning that whatsoever. You might say, okay, John, you know, I got my girlfriends, and we get together, and we talk, and we talk. And we talk about important things, right? These are the people that really know you. And you might even say, John, I'm, I'm in a life group here at church. I, I did it. You know what? We're tight. We're close. We meet every single week. We get, always get our lesson done and we fill in all the blanks and even everyone shares a prayer request. It's awesome. We're deep. We're tight. Oh, yeah. And that's great until life happens. Until you're in the middle of the battle of life, like Moses was that day. Until you need somebody that you can call at 3 a.m. Who's that for you? What happens when your life doesn't fit into a nice Christian box? Some of you remember a few years ago, we had quite an amazing story happen here uh, at the church. And we, we shared this incredible story of a couple that's a part of our church family here, Jay and Jolie Ewart, who are in one of our life groups, and they were here at the early service, and uh, we recorded them uh, a year or so ago telling their story about an incredible moment in their lives that made them realize how vital it is to have companions and to never travel alone. Let's take a look at their story. Day, unlike, not unlike a lot of other days, it was a Saturday. Um, had an outside job, had a guy working with me, so we collected our tools, loaded up the truck, came back, um, talked to my neighbor, went into his yard, and proceeded to collapse and have a major uh, cardiac arrest. I did not have a, a life-sustaining heart rate, so they had to defibrillate me and uh, put me in the ambulance and took me off to the hospital. When I remember just taking Joseph and Isaac and saying we need to pray. I mean that was all I could cling to. It's all I have and that's all I had. And um, so we prayed and Joseph prayed and Isaac prayed and I prayed and and I just remember thinking this can't happen. I mean this really isn't, this can't happen. I need to have Jay. There's, you know, I can't imagine my life without Jay. There was something in addition to having the strength that I knew that people that loved and worshipped Christ was invaluable. At that point, I'm, I'm reeling from just trying to get my head wrapped around it. And my sons, I mean, just, uh, you know, telling them right there, I love you. <laughs> and, you know, just, just being completely overwhelmed by the emotion of the, of the moment of being able to say, you know, I'm in God's hands. Driving around one day, we see these signs over by this elementary school. It was like, wow, well, they're meeting at Hubble. So 
we go next Sunday and we walk in and it's just like our cup of tea. And I remember walking into the churches and, and thinking to myself, these people will take care of me. Yeah, I think about our small group and um, I think about how they've uh, cared yeah. for us through all this. I, and, I, yeah. and I kind of think, what would we have done without them? I mean, just in a very physical way, just, you know, cleaning our house, dropping food off. I mean, the doors were open, they all knew, and that there'd be food for the boys. I mean, that just didn't happen. That was because right. people knew, our, knew us and loved us and cared for us, and we're going to make sure that we didn't have to worry about that. And, and, and being in a small group was very much a part of what we thought church life was all about. Right. I mean, you, I mean we, we just felt that and knew that to be true. So I right. um, couldn't imagine going to a church and not being in a small group. And who cares for you, as Joey said? I mean... I can't imagine in a situation like this, or any other situation, where you're all alone. And where's your support? That community that surrounds you, lifts you up and builds you up, and it's that give and take. It isn't just about us being taken care of, it's about caring for others. It's about getting outside our own business and being aware of other people's issues and caring for them. I mean, it's, it's alive, it's vibrant. Whatever profoundness you want to put on it, can go pretty deep, but simplicity is, you know, is key, and it just points to God and says, for our family, we had a small miracle. Amen. Let's give God praise for their story. Absolutely. That's real life. That's not from the Hallmark Channel. That's from your family. Are you traveling alone these days? Do you have companions for your journey. I love what Jay and Jolie say at the end of their story. We can't imagine doing life without a small group. You can't do hope and not be in a small group. Who are those people that lift you up when you don't have the strength? Folks, sometimes the love and the compassion that you are looking for, that you're crying out to God for, comes through an answer to prayer through the body of Christ. Some of you really need to let yourself be loved. What's blocking that is these walls that you're putting up. They're saying, I can't be vulnerable with people. If, I, if they really knew who I was, they would never accept me. Who are you traveling with these days? And I love what Jay said. It goes both ways. Who cares for you and who are you caring for? That's when life gets exciting. Folks, you're going to need more than an active social life. You're going to need more than a thousand friends on Facebook when real life hits. Who are your companions? Who are the Aaron and hers of your life? Moses had Joshua as his mentee and he had Aaron and her as his companions, but there's one more relationship in this story that I think it'd be easy for us to just skip over and it's in the next chapter. So really quick, let's go to chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, just one more page over. See, after the battle was won against the Amalekites, Moses was spent. He'd been on this long journey and they fought this battle. Uh, at Rephidim, and he's spent, he's exhausted. Like most of us who have faced some really difficult trials in our lives, maybe you're feeling that today. Maybe it has to do with finances, maybe it has to do with a job, maybe it has to do with broken relationships. You've all been there, we've all been there at those times in our lives and we are just exhausted. We are empty and we need to be filled up. We need to be refreshed with encouragement and wisdom. I don't, is there ever been a point in your life where you just stop and you just admit, man, I can't do this alone. Like, what I'm experiencing is beyond me. 
You ever been there? It's beyond me. I, I don't have all the answers. I can't make decisions. I can't figure out life alone. I think we've all been there at one time or another. At that point, where do you turn? Because the problem is you can't turn to the people you're mentoring because chances are they're not as far down the journey as you are. They're, they haven't experienced as much as you have. The problem with your companions, those people that you're with, are, chances are they're at a similar point in the journey. They have a hard time seeing you from an outside perspective. Where do you turn in those moments? How about your father-in-law? Anyone? Father-in-law? That's exactly what Moses does. Chapter 18, we discover that Moses goes to Jethro. When he's tired and burnt out, he goes to a mentor figure in his life. And this is the third key relationship that every single one of us needs, and it gets often overlooked. Who's your mentor? Who's your coach? Who's that wise sage in your life that you can go to that can speak into your life that's farther down on the journey? Who is that person in your life? And you might say, oh, you know, that's a great idea, John, for the little kids, right? The, the, the third graders and the teenagers, well, they need a mentor. Well, if we learn anything from Moses' life at this point in his journey, he is a fully grown man. <laughs> Really, really, really old. Really, really long beard, right? He is the leader of hundreds and thousands of people. He's God's main man. But yet he knows he still has much to learn. He knows he couldn't lead alone. And so everything that Moses was to Joshua, Jethro is to Moses. It goes both ways. And so we look at verse 15, and Moses is making all these excuses to Jethro why he's so busy all the time. This is what we like to do when we meet up with a mentor. Sometimes we like to make excuses and just explain away why we're living the way we're living. Moses says, answered him, because the people come to me and seek God's will and it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and then I give them God's decrees and instructions. In other words, Moses, Moses is telling his mentor, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted from the journey, and, but, but I can't stop, I can't let up, I have to keep my foot on the pedal, I have to work 60 hours a week because how else is the work going to get done? Somewhere along the line we get this convoluted idea that if we don't stop working, well, if we do stop working, the world's going to fall apart. And it's going to stop spinning and the sun's not going to come up tomorrow. Are you that important that it's worth killing yourself in the process? And that's one of the reasons we need mentors in our lives because look what Jethro does. Jethro comes and he says uh, to Moses in verse 18, and in fact, let's read this together, uh, verses 17 and 18. Jethro says, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. I think that's called getting told. <laughs> that's called getting put in your place. Who has permission to say things like that to you? Who has permission to look you square in the eyes and say, what you are doing is not good? Who gets to do that? Or have you blocked out all those voices and you're just going with what you want to go? The thing with mentoring is that Jethro did it the right way. Does he provide a listening ear? Yes. Does he encourage Moses and, and uh, celebrate his victories with him? Yes. But when the time came to tell the hard truth, Jethro spoke right into his life. That's what we're called to do for others, and that's what we're called to find for ourselves. Who's your Jethro today? Because the hard truth is that some of you came in here today, and you are carrying a giant, giant 
bag of burdens. The weight, the burden, the questions of life, the the questions about life and marriage and jobs and faith, and you think, this is my burden to carry. This is my cross to bear. I have to carry it all alone. And for some of you, you just think, well, that's normal. That's how life just has to be. But for those of us on the outside, it just kind of looks silly. So I want you to take a look at this video and think, how am I kind of like Mr. Kevin Garnett? Let's take a look. You know what? Kevin Garnett's not God. And he was never meant to carry the whole world on his shoulders. And neither were you. That's why you need a Jethro in your life, to help you carry those burdens. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of wisdom. Moses built a support network around him all the way from Egypt to the promised land. And he found victory, not just in the battle against the Amalekites, but he found victory in life because he did not travel alone. What key relationships are you missing in your life today? You might be missing something and you don't even know it. You don't know how good it could be. Where do maybe you need to engage and be someone else's answer to prayer? And here's the best news of all. God wants to give you the wisdom to do that. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. There might be an area of your life today where you just say, I desperately need wisdom. I desperately need help. Ask him. Ask him. Pour out your heart to him because after all, he's your father. He's your father. He's the same father that says, never will I leave you or forsake you. I have not given up on you. We're going to make it. Whatever journey you're on today, whether you're on that journey from Egypt to the promised land or from the person that you are today to the person that you so desperately want to be or the kind of life that you want to live. Don't neglect the relationships that God wants to place in your life. Your father says to you today, let me father you. Let me guide you. Crawl up on my lap and let's talk today. Let me be the one to give you wisdom to mentor others. Let me be the one to direct you towards life-giving community. And finally, your father says, let me be the mentor that you've always been looking for. The greatest mentor that you could ever have. Ask him. Just talk to him like he was sitting next to you today. That's, that's what prayer is. Come to me. Come to me and I'll help you get from Egypt to the promised land. You don't have to go looking for that father today. He's here and he's standing with open arms. And he says, come to me. You don't have to do it alone. I think the next time that I go hiking at Clear Creek, I'll bring some companions for the journey. And I pray the same would be true for us. Let's stand together.